Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey there, everybody. This is Ryan Wenger, founder of Where2.com. And if you want to level up your relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Ryan Wenger. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation, a really, really cool company that that Ryan has built um, here in the last few years, and I'm excited to talk with him about that. But first, really quickly, if you are a podcaster, content creator, and you want to have better interviews, you want to interview people like Ryan, all other amazing, high quality, really good guests for your content channels uh, that my team and I put together a really cool tool called Guestio that will help you do exactly that. Head over to guestio.com, create a free account. There's an entire marketplace there of a bunch of different high quality guests that you can go interview right now uh, for any of the content channels that you have created. Uh, that's guestio.com. And depending on where you're listening to this, the mobile app might also be live as well. So go check it out and download the mobile app. Makes it a little bit easier. Uh, so that's guestio.com. Ryan, what's up, man? Thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. My pleasure. Very cool background you have there. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate that. We we worked really hard on it. And we didn't really, but I like to tell people that. I, I want to I kind of jump in, build some context here for, uh, for the, those listening. 
and uh, and just kind of rewind the clock. So let's let's take it back. Like we'll take it way back, like pre, you know, job, pre business. Talk to me about fifteen year old Ryan. Well, you know, where'd you grow up? What 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 were your, what was your family yeah. life like? Stuff like that. So I'm from the town of Woodstock, New York, about two hours north of New York City. Born and raised. Uh, really, it's the woods with about three thousand people in the middle of it. Very rural area. My dad owns a Celtic used antiquarian bookstore. Wow. Um, yep. And my mom was a special ed teacher. So my dad's bookstore I grew up in, it's like, you know, you picture like an old dusty bookstore yeah. and that was it. Super niche subject matter and Arthurian legend, and Celtic folklore. Wow. Um, I grew up thinking that everyone's dad did that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'd like, they were both, you know, hippies, um, very, very liberal and open-minded. And the whole town was like that, very artistic. And, um, you know, went to a public high school. You know, neither of those professions were very lucrative. So, you know, kind of a, kind of a middle-class background. Sure. What, uh, did, did you excel in high school? Did you like it? So, sort of. I, partly in credit to my parents, I, they didn't really make me like go to school and do the homework and stuff. So my grades were terrible, absolutely <laughs> atrocious. I had like a 2.0, barely graduated high school from a grade standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did pretty well in tests. You know, growing up in a bookstore, I was very kind of read a lot as a little kid and um, loved like learning and research. So my way of looking at the world was, was hap- fortunately was pretty well attuned to like doing well and on tests. Yeah. Was studying and like buckling down new test. So I did well in my SATs and everything and didn't do so hot in my GPA. Um, but, but that also led to, you know, uh, education after high school. Correct? Yeah. So I, I, I went to USC for college. So not and, too bad. <laughs> yeah. And got an almost full scholarship, um, like academic and economic scholarship and did, I, I did well there. Um, had like graduate top of my class, you know, in college, they suddenly start rewarding you for like the work product as opposed to like the inputs, like homework and stuff. So um, I, I naturally suddenly was shocked when I started getting straight A's in my report cards. Yeah. Right. And, uh, then went straight to law school. I went to UC Hastings, you know, again, did pretty well in the LSAT and went straight to law school and I loved it. Graduated top third of my class at UC Hastings. And became a lawyer um, because, again, just kind of attuned to my, you know, just sitting down and analyzing information, reading and writing. Mm. So that really fed the decision to become a lawyer. Like, uh, it's it's so well, interesting I, that that's the path that you went down. Yeah, I mean, I, I love politics. Like, reading about political science was kind of a hobby of mine before I even got into school. Okay. So I thought of going into government. And I also felt compelled to advocate for people like me that grew up in like not super wealthy households that Mm. are underrepresented. And I grew up just, again, like liberal parents and seeing how it all works, but, and then transitioning from like public upstate New York background to, you know, USC kind of the, and then law school. And I saw all the advantages that, that wealthy kids have Mm. and, really wanted to uh, see if there was a public interest or at least governmental sector where I could 
advocate for some sort of uh, greater opportunity for people that don't have those types of benefits. Um, I grew up, you know, I waited tables at a Chinese restaurant when I was 14 years old. Mm. You know, I did that for like during the, during the school year. I did that during summers. I worked at so many different jobs and didn't have SAT tutoring and didn't have these things that I right. see people have that I'm going to give my kids for sure. Sure. Yeah. So anyways, I, I, I felt like there was a, there was a, a, I was politically motivated. Now, let me say that, unfortunately, I was also easily corruptible because I started working at a big law firm as soon as I got out of school. I was like, well, I, was like I, I owe $200,000, essentially mostly from law school. Yeah. And it's just such a compelling path unless you have the utmost conviction. Yeah, like a calling. It's unless you really <clears throat> feel that calling more than yeah. the, the corruption, I think it's easy to get swept away. And I did. Yeah. So anyways, I started working at a big law firm, um, doing like business litigation. Uh, and did that for about six years before I realized that I would be better at being an entrepreneur and started my new company. Yeah, sure. And so, so I heard, I heard your story first on, uh, Rob Deerdeck's uh, podcast and I, deeply resonated with what you said about travel. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, you know, the journey from being a corporate lawyer to yeah. being a travel entrepreneur, you know, wh why, why did that happen? And what <laughs> made you, you know, want to do that? Yeah, for sure. So I always like have ideas that I'm trying to experiment with on the side. I've, I've had that since I was a kid. I, filed a patent application when I was in junior high school for um, a different a design for airplanes to save fuel economy. Just love jumping into ideas and seeing if I could bring them to light. So the idea that was really compelling to me in during school was a search engine based on your budget, where you can say, you know, I have $650, where can I go for that amount of money? You know, at the time, all that all that existed was destination search engines where you could say, I want to go to Vegas. How much is a flight or hotel? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had the opposite problem growing up where I had certain, a very limited budget, worked hard to get every single dollar and then wanted to know what my options were. Where in the world can I go for that amount of money? And knew a lot of people had the same thing. So I pitched it for like 10 years from the time I came up with the idea in college to the time I was like a sixth year attorney. I, wow. I pitched the idea casually to everyone sure. and like the thousandth person that I told <laughs> was my boss at the law firm that I'd switched to in Santa Monica, Darren Enstein. And he loved the idea so much that he put the money in on the spot. Wow. And you know, it's, it's unusual because you really need like your shit together to raise, you know, angel capital. You need a deck. You need to really, really, you know, have no, you got to know what you're doing and, and do and go through the process. And I didn't, mine was what you should not do. Like just casually telling people like you need to sit down, you got to build a deck, got to grow your network. You got to do the things that I now know in retrospect would have saved me 10 years. Anyway, so that, that, pro that product took off while I was still a lawyer. I built it nights and weekends with the team of engineers and my wife who is, who's, who's, uh, who's technical. And we, it, we launched it at South by Southwest took off. We had like something like a million users in the first 24 hours of it launching. I written up in TechCrunch and Lifehacker and that getting it written up in all these 
publications caused it to go viral. But you're not a you're not a coder, Ryan. How, how do you build a software company if you don't know how to code? Yeah, it's definitely better if you can code. I hired some coders in the Ukraine that were very cheap and you built them it just like on like you know Upwork or Fiverr or Google or. Uh, so I, I I met them in Santa Monica, the original company. It was okay. I met. It was just, just very low level networking. I think I was at a bar next to my office and I met like a guy who ran an agency that did gotcha. outsource and, and went that direction. And then because I'm not a coder, you're not, I'm not as adept at interviewing and managing. Sure. So there's a learning curve. So we had to actually go through a couple different engineer, engineering organizations, people, companies to find the right one. So it, the, the product had actually taken off kind of on a not the best architecture. Hmm. So you know, it, it, it can be forgiving. Like, you know, you don't have to always have the best technology for a technology product to be successful. Sure. If the idea is good enough. If the idea is good enough, if, 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 if you fit, yes, yes. Plus if you figure out like distribution, you know, yeah. even if the idea, the idea can be okay, the product can be okay. But if you had found an incredible distribution opportunity that could take it off. So you, you kind of mentioned, you just kind of glossed over the fact that you got written up in TechCrunch, kind of went viral and you got a million users in 24 hours of launching a product. I mean, this is like a, a dream scenario for a lot of people. And, uh, and I, I think it would be doing you and your company a disservice if I don't let you at least explain a little bit more about that story, because it was much, much more intentional than just getting happened to be caught up and, and happened to be written up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us that story. Yeah. So I was on stage at 2016 South by Southwest. I won a pitch competition. And, you know, I, I, that was what I pictured would be the moment that it would be written up and that it would go viral. But, you know, I, we didn't, it didn't happen. I got off the stage. Like I, I pitched pretty well. You know, we won like, I don't know, like second or third place or something like that. And, nothing happened. Like some investors were interested in talking to us, but there wasn't that moment that I expected. So we looked at, um, we kind of made our own destiny. We looked at a map of parties at South by Southwest, my wife and I, and we saw that TechCrunch had, had sponsored one of the parties. They had like their own private party. Mm -hmm. So I went there, I snuck in and got a, tapped a reporter on the shoulder and asked him if he'd be interested in hearing about my story. He, he reluctantly listened, yeah. loved, loved the idea. He was like, this doesn't exist. And whipped out his laptop and he interviewed me at the party in the corner of the room. And uh, the next morning sent me a text saying like, like published. And wow. it went viral from that. It got written up from TechCrunch. It went to Lifehacker from Lifehacker buzzfeed you know then it just ricocheted around the world so uh so so then you were done right like every, everything went every, it was it was a raging success and you exited for a billion dollars and now you get to live the rest of your life right yeah some of that some of that <laughs> so so you end up getting a bunch of users uh onto the onto the platform but then when you start analyzing kind of the the usage of the platform there's some glaring holes in the monetization model, right? So can, can you talk a little bit about how you yeah. were able to figure that out and then what ended up leading to the ultimate pivot, which is kind of yeah. where we are today? Yeah, I mean, it was easy to figure out because we had millions of searches happening, but only a handful of bookings, hmm. which is how we, we made money. 
And, you know, the reason was pretty obvious. I think we interviewed some people. It's like people were using us for ideas and then they were going to other websites to book the flight and hotel that our algorithm recommended because there was no, our prices were the same as competitors. And plus a lot of people that are like thinking about traveling their early stage of planning their trip are inherently not ready to book. They're going to take a couple of weeks or a couple of months and they're probably not going to remember wherefore.com as the place to go to do it. Mm. So we had that problem. I had some ideas on how to fix it, but short time after, I think a couple months, I was at another tech conference. I was at the collision conference in New Orleans and an executive called me right when I got off stage and asked me if we could partner to bring our technology to enterprise travel. And, you know, her idea was not, had really nothing to do with wherefore.com. She just thought that we were a cool startup in the travel tech space and would be a good group of people to brainstorm with a better version of Concur. And so we did, we flew their headquarters and uh, learned about kind of how antiquated the user interfaces are on corporate booking tools and some of the deeper problems in the industry. And we realized that if you, in business travel, if you close the company, they make all their employees use that for their business travel. So it ha- it's very sticky and also very kind of low-hanging fruit because it, was, it hasn't been innovated in 10 years or, or so. Yeah. I, you know, I used that. I came out with a contract with the company and used that contract to raise an A round okay. from Emergence Capital. And I, by that point, I had pivoted the company to exclusively focusing on business travel. We left wherefore.com up just because people liked using it, but we were fully focused on business travel. And that's, that product uh, was called where2.com, is called where2.com. How do you know when you should pivot versus when you're just getting some negative feedback and you're not tapping into the right market? Does that, does that make sense? I feel like sometimes it's difficult as a founder to know what, what requires a pivot versus what requires just some more fine tuning, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I don't know if there's an answer in the abstract. Hmm. Um, it's got case by case type of a deal. Yeah. I mean, in that case, it was just, it was so glaring. Like we had yeah. a point, like a two point, a tenth of 1% booking rate. Hmm. And then on the other hand, we had a business travel problem that was so deep that a company reached out to us yeah. to build something from scratch. And so paid it, you that, for it. Yes. So, so that was, you know, only a, only a, a reckless founder or someone totally committed to the other thing would turn that down. Yeah. But outside of that, I, so I just think you have to take an honest look at, you know, your, your, your problems and, and um, think about the, what, you know, the pivot opportunity and weigh the costs and the benefits. Yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers 
agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you. That work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So uh, one, one thing that I super appreciate about your story is like just the definition of scrappy, just willing to, you know, fly here, go to this thing, sneak into this, into this room, ask this reporter straight up to write a story. Like you're always, you're always willing to put yourself in a seemingly uncomfortable position in order to have some sort of advantage for the company or the vision that you're trying to build. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. How, how important is that in any founder across any company? I, it's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. I think it's impossible to to succeed without that. Yeah, and it's just um, you know putting your it's it's just about realizing that you're gonna lose a whole lot and to, before you win and picking yourself up again and again. You know, it's it's a numbers game at the end of the day. You know, I, we pitch to like hundreds of VCs or or investors to find the handful that supported us. It's also much easier later on. Like once you start like acquiring assets, mm. it just becomes easier. You you know so like you know once you have I intellectual, you have a patent filed. You have it just there's more interest in what you're doing. Once you have customers, there's more interest. You have that stuff. You get better employees. You have those things. You get better capital. It's all. It's like it's like climbing a you know a rock climbing wall. Mm-hmm. Um, toward, towards the top. So, you know, you just got to realize that you're going to fall down a whole lot, especially at the beginning. And you have, you have to be goal oriented. You mentioned before we hit the recording button that you had some, uh, a lot of thoughts around networking and that there's something that you've been really intentional about. And that's really the, the reason for the existence of this show, Ryan, is like, I am somebody that deeply believes in building good relationships with really good quality people and adding value to the world around you and just kind of trusting that it's going to come back on you. And the reason that we started the show was that I I found that most people, when I would say that, they would agree with me. You know, it would be like, oh yeah, everybody understands. Like networking is good. You should, you know, your network, your net worth, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You know, we all understand those things. But... I find that it's a much smaller percentage of people who are actually doing something about it intentionally to use the word that you used. And so, but I do find that the people that do do it uh, intentionally are seemingly always in a better spot. So can you kind of speak into some of the things that 
uh, you have done throughout your career to put yourself in positions to, to be around the people that have made a difference for you? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple elements to that. Um, the first is the technique, the key quality that makes you a good network networker is really you listening when you meet people for listening to ways that you can help them. Mm. Like that is the fundamental rule of networking is you don't go, go out like, you know, with a drink in your hand at a bar, like, you know, trying to figure out who can help you. Right. You know, I think that's the mistake. And, and it's also, and that's why it has a bad rap. But if you think of networking as, you know, going out there and seeing what people need, and how you can help and attacking from that angle, I think that you get better, much better results. And it's also more fun. Yeah. And, and you've had some some cool partnerships um, along the way. Um, at, at, what, at what point at what point in the journey did Rob get involved, and how you know how instrumental was his part in in the success of where it, of, of where to where from and really the entire venture? Yeah, I mean, I, we wouldn't be where we are had I not met him. He where did he come? Darren Enstein, my partner, my co-founder of the company that I, I pitched to, mm-hmm. he brought him in through another friend. Again, like that networking and um, Rob was in really attracted to the consumer thing we were doing. Yeah. You know, it really resonated in his, in his skill set, the, the direct to consumer. But soon after I met him, we pivoted to business travel. So he, you know, we, we tried to figure out how he could still be useful in the pivot to enterprise travel. And, you know, he, um, he ended up like, Doing, just doing everything he could to try to bridge the gap. And, you know, he connected me with operational, like one operational person that was just like kind of a smart operator who helped me, help, helped me organize the, the, the company. How amazing of a feeling is it uh, to be able to work with people who seemingly care almost as much about your company as, as you care about it? Because that, that to me as a founder is, is the, is the tough thing is that, you never find anybody that cares about it as much as you care about it, but there, uh, you can definitely tell the difference when you have people that put money in, who are just kind of like, "All right, call me when we exit," or or there's people like Rob. It sounds like who are like, "How, how can I? How can I add value here? What can I? What can I do? Is there? Can I make a connection? Can I? You know, they they seem to be in the trenches with you. How how um, how crucial has that been for you? I mean, it's that that's the A. That's the you know the the A investor you know, like someone that's actually helpful. And then below that is somebody that doesn't do anything. doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything, doesn't control, doesn't, doesn't interfere. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and that's already like an upper echelon investor. Mm-hmm. I think that a fair number of, I think amateur investors is what you need to be really careful. Sure. Which is like people that, that think that, that they're being helpful and are very controlling and it can turn into micromanagement. So we didn't, we didn't really have that, but I do want to point out that like the best is certainly somebody that's like passionate and energizing and helpful, but it's also, it can also be fine to get investors that are just going to put in, put in money too. And you really want to snoop out people that are going to like interfere with what you're doing. Yeah. Right. So avoid, avoid dumb money and search for neutral money or smart money. 
Basically. Yeah. And I think it's even, I don't love those terms because people with money tend to be smart, you know, yeah, and, of course, of course. Right? So it's like most people, they're just, they, they may have been successful in one thing. Yeah. So smart, but, and, and it, so you got to really realize that aspect, not so much the smartness. Sure. Sure. Um, and uh, now coming into, you know, where you guys are at now, I mean, uh, there, there was one other part of the conversation that I took away that I thought was, uh, again, speaks to your scrappiness and willingness to put everything aside, including your own ego and position for the good of the company. So can you talk a little bit about the decision to basically turn over the position title of CEO to somebody yeah. else? Yeah. So again, like I'm very goal oriented. Like it, to me, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, you have results you want to bring to the world. In, in my case, it was, I wanted these two booking tools to exist and whether I'm the one to do it or somebody else is, I don't, I don't care so much. So when I, in where to, when I hit a point where I, I, you know, there was, I found someone that could do a better job, like scaling the company. I was happy to step aside and bring that person in. Yeah. Um, what helped me realize it was just, I, I, I had done a management review with my team. I, this is like 2018. I had a small number of employees, maybe eight employees. And you know, this person I brought in someone to do the interv- interview to see how I'm doing. And um, it, I didn't do great. It was like pretty, pretty poor scores for management. And I realized that that was not a natural strength. And I could either like just buckle through it and just brute strength it and, you know, cause a lot of damage along the way right. um, or bring somebody in. And then the timing really worked out. Emergence Capital, our, our investor, offered to bring in somebody that would, from their network, that was proven in the in the enterprise software space. Mm. You know, by this time, I'm only two years out of being like an associate in a law firm and right. hearing I'm running an enterprise travel company. Right. So I welcome the opportunity to bring in someone that was more 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 relevant. So what's next, man? What what's next for you guys? Where are you at? Um, well, so we were acquired last summer by Flight Center Travel Group. It's a, one of the largest travel agencies. Thank you. Thank you. Um, in the world. And um, so they brought our team over and acquired all of our assets. And what we're doing now is connecting our platform to their customer base and kind of digitizing. They're, they specialize in kind of v, VIP, high touch corporate travel help, you know, okay. people that pick up the phone and, and help people book their travel. Like concierge so really, style. Exactly. Exactly. So merging our, our product and our engineering team, we have a, a really top-notch product and engineering organization. We're like 90% engineers in my company. Wow. So merging that with their sales team and their operator team was a natural fit. And now we're just connecting the two and, and uh, letting it explode this next year when, when, it, when we launch it. So what about for you, man? What, what, what's next on the horizon for you after kind of this merger and everything like that? Uh, you know, got, got, got an acquisition under your belt. You know, what, what's come down the pike? Yeah, it's seeing my baby stand on her own. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. How, how old is she? Oh, well, I- I actually. Oh, 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 oh! I thought I thought you had a. I thought you were saying you had a baby. I was like, oh man, cool, good for you. Yeah, that, your your ba- your company baby. Yeah. So I, I still I'm still it's still I want to make sure that it's successful and that the people that we brought over are happy and have great careers there. 
Yeah. So my, my, my work there is not over. And then also I had a daughter about okay. two and a half months ago. That's what I had thought. That's what I had thought. I was like, oh, okay. I, I thought I heard that somewhere. And I was like, I'm talking about the kids now. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, that, <laughs> so that's fun. And I so, think growing a, growing a company gave me a little tiny little bit of experience that's actually transferable to raising a kid, I hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, let me know how that goes. Cause I'm in the middle of both of them at the moment myself. Uh, so, uh, let me know if there's any principles that you learn <laughs> as a parent that translate over to, to the company side. Cause uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, well, cool, man. I appreciate you for coming on the show. I got one last question here for you before we move into the final segment. Uh, this is a question, you know, we've put out 600 plus episodes of the show. This is a question we've asked every single guest that's ever come on who, you know, or what you know, which of those two do you view as being the ultimate asset in life and why? Yeah, so it, I'm sure everyone answers this way, but it's it's a, it's a bit of both. It's like, I don't know, the combination, maybe 50-50, maybe slightly more who you know. Um, this goes, this was the second networking point I had, which which is that like your your, your network is going to really help or hurt your your ability to build a company. So at the beginning, don't be discouraged by the fact that it's going to be like zero, like, you know, that that you're not going to know a lot of people in the industry that you're looking to go into and that you're not going to have the ability to get soft introductions to VCs. So it takes that work to do that. And then once you do, that power of knowing people can take off. Yeah. There's no shortcut. A network is by definition, more like only valuable once you have a bunch of nodes, a bunch of people in it. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, if, if I compare to probably the thing that's the, probably the best thing that happened to me personally over the last four years was how much better my network is today, where if I want to reach an employee or a venture capitalist, I'll, I can go on LinkedIn and see probably several people that I'll have in common that can make that, that intro. Mm. That helps you, makes life easier. And it just happened over the last four years naturally by me be going out there and, and, and doing the damn thing. Yeah, sure. Well, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you being kind of an, an example uh, for all of us to, to, to look at for what can be done in, in a short period of time even. And uh, if you just kind of possess that, that scrappiness, that uh, ability to adapt, to pivot and to keep your head down and, and keep working hard. So um, I want to move into the final segment here. So I like to call the random round. Just some quick random questions, quick random answers. We'll get you out of here. Sound cool? Uh-oh. Okay. What profession other than your own do you think that it would just be fun to attempt? A movie critic or, or, or food critic. Mm. That is a good one. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be? Or Thomas Jefferson. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? This is an easy one. And my dad would kill me if I answered any way other than a book. Okay. What's a business or entrepreneurship book in particular that you would recommend to the audience? Uh, Lean Startup. I also liked um, The Art of the Start. Um, but Lean Startup just like describes the key aspect to building a startup, which is um, you know, creating a minimal viable product testing, going out there and testing it as early as you can, rather than spending like years trying to do research and development before putting it out there and discovering that there's a glaring problem with it. I totally echo that. Yeah, that was definitely one of uh, the kind of life-changing books for me. And I also like to say, I think it's important to stick to like philosophy and economics and read more about macro trends than micro. Mm. Like I think you want to 
you know, do a little bit of very specific like startup books, but I also think it's like incredibly useful to read like higher level, like more, more philosophical questions about the world. I think that always like sparks. That's where, you know, that, that gets your creative juices going. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. I started a, a class in Santa Monica that I like a lot called Be at Body Fit Training, which is like an outdoor group kind of CrossFit cl- class that I oh, nice. absolutely love. So that's it. I have coffee before I before I, I get some work done before that, and then uh, and then hit that class. What is your go to pump up song? Annie Up by MOP. What is something that putting business aside, just kind of general life here? What's something that you're just not very good at? Oh man, there's a lot of things. Organization. I'll I'll get distracted by one thing, go to another thing, get distracted by that, and be like five five levels in the rabbit hole before I realize what I'm doing, and that happens about three times an hour. <laughs> I wonder what that's like. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I do. Um, as we get everything wrapped up here, Ryan, what's one place online where you want our listeners to get to go to connect with you the most? So I started a blog, RyanWinger.com, where I swear. Sure. Right, you know, my a lot of these ideas that I've uh, come up with, right or wrong, put out there. Perfect. So head on over to ryanwenger.com. That's R Y A N W E N G E R.com and uh, sign up for uh, some of his blog posts over there. Um, guys, I promise you will not regret learning more from this guy. Uh, he's got a lot of wisdom to share. And uh, go check out where to or wherefore.com if you're uh, in the travel space or in enterprise travel space. Um, and I know that uh, you'll you'll have some fun over there. So Ryan, appreciate you so much for coming on the show today, man. I had a blast chatting with you. Thanks for having me. It was a good conversation. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.